Okay. There we go. Hello and welcome to the Education Station podcast. Michael, Paula, and myself are teacher candidates with a passion for both learning and educating. We are here to talk about all things education. Today we'll be we will be focusing on the topic of digital literacy and digital citizenship. We want to explore how students can engage more critically with these topics on their own. So let's get right into it. According to the digital literacy framework by the BC Ministry of Education, digital literacy is defined as the interest, attitude and ability of individuals to appropriately use digital technology and communication tools to access, manage, integrate, analyze and evaluate information, construct new knowledge, create and communicate with others. And digital citizenship, which is different from digital literacy, which is kind of a sort of a branch of, of it, is, um, is a way of thinking online, a way of being online, a way of acting online, and um, thinking critically and not trusting everything you see. It's about being safe with your information and who you connect with. And it's about acting responsibly and how you communicate and behave. And that definition is from a video um, by Common Sense Media. In the digital literacy framework under digital citizenship section, it ex explains outcomes for students in the area of digital citizenship, stating that students understand human, cultural, and societal issues related to technology and practice legal and ethical behavior. These are topics within digital citizenship laid out in the framework. Um, sorry, there are topics and they include um, internet safety, privacy and security, relationships and communication, cyberbullying, digital footprint and reputation, self image and identity and more. So those are some topics that are laid out in the framework under digital citizenship. And it's important as teachers to address issues within digital technology, but also to ensure that positive messages and representations about the digital technology are also displayed. Um, digital technology can be empowering for students if they are given the right tools and knowledge to use it. Mark Ribble says, in reality though, students may be comfortable using technology, but they still might not understand how to use it appropriately or how to harness the power of technology to pursue their passions and contribute to their community. So it's our roles as educators to empower students through digital literacy and understanding digital technologies. And it may be through understanding difficult, difficult um, or sensitive topics and um, through learning about these topics, it could help students um, be safe and share their information in a safe way. So as you can see, there is a lot to cover and discuss within the topic of digital citizenship. And due to having limited time on today's podcast, we will be focusing on three main issues of digital citizenship um, that students may encounter in the classroom. And prior to sharing the information in the podcast, I do want to provide a trigger warning because we do discuss topics of cyberbullying, sexual assault, suicide, and body image slash eating disorders. So if any of these topics are sensitive to you, um, 
I would recommend maybe not tuning into this episode as um, they could bring up some feelings um, or sensitivities or triggers. Um, so with that being said, our topics are cyberbullying and digital footprint, body image, and media consumption and its effects. We will be providing an overview of each topic and provide suggestions for ways to address these topics in the classroom. So let's get started. Um, so Michael, you've been doing some research on the topic of cyberbullying. So I wanted to ask you, how do you think educators can help students in terms of the topic of cyberbullying? Or maybe you could provide us some information about cyberbullying more generally um, and kind of discuss how yeah. educators can help. Yeah, for sure. Totally, I can. And yeah, it's kind of one of the more uh, heavy topics of the ones that we're discussing. So just keep that in mind. Um, if you haven't heard, maybe I should just define it first. If you haven't heard of cyberbullying and what it is, it's uh, essentially it's bullying that is done through the use of some sort of electronic device. So, so like typically it's bullying through text or some online platform, like it could be Instagram or something like that, but it's, it's bullying online essentially. And uh, actually some of us might remember uh, the tragedy with Amanda Todd about uh, 10 years ago. Uh, it was a girl who she took her own life after being severely cyberbullied uh, due to a nude image that she had taken of herself. Um, the image was actually spread around online and she was like harassed and stalked. Um, someone made a Facebook page, a fake Facebook page defaming her and people even uh, sexually extorted her, which they're now calling sextortion. Um, yeah, and there was actually another case, a girl named Ritea Parsons, same, a similar sort of event, like a girl who she passed away after uh, attempting a suicide because of a video that was spread around online of her during an alleged sexual assault. So it's it's a pretty heavy topic, and these are obviously just tragic events. And um, these are these are actually quite famous cases. There are definitely some uh, more severe examples, but there is a large spectrum to the degree at which students are bullied online. And I should add that while it has been known that girls are primary targets of cyberbullying, there are an increasing number of boys who have been targets as well. Some a lot of studies have shown that it's not just girls these days; it's it's actually boys as well. Um, one example of this actually is uh, kind of a personal one. It's um, there's actually even a relative of mine um, who's been experiencing both bullying and cyberbullying uh, at his school for a while now. And he apparently he was randomly targeted by one of his peers, as far as we know. And since then, he's been harassed constantly at school and um, somehow his bullies got his phone number. And at home, he was text a bunch of hateful messages things like go die and just just awful awful things and uh yeah at it's it got really intense he, like long story short he had to move schools and um but the the trauma of this whole thing is like something that's still with him that he's still dealing through and uh it's kind of that kind of gets to one of the points of cyberbullying is that it's it's not like the kids can get away from it there's there's no getting away from it 
Like today's youth are online, like so, so much. And their social world exists online just as much as it is, exists in person. And so uh, while students in the early 2000s, like in my generation, they could escape their bullying at home. Today's generation doesn't have a, like a safe place like that. And so some of the key challenges with dealing with cyberbullying are typically that children are reluctant to come forward and ask for help because they're worried they'll make things worse or they're embarrassed or ashamed or whatever reason. And uh, there's also the challenge of like whose who's responsibility it is. Like there's, there's a cyberbullying issue that cyberbullying involves different parties. Um, Professor Wayne McKay was, he worded it really well. And he said that the battle against cyberbullying must be a war waged on many different fronts. Uh, there's, policies of the government, there's the school's responsibilities, there's responsibilities of online platforms to moderate things. Um, but by and large, it is thought to that it is a responsibility that lies, that lies chiefly with educators. Now, obviously, the problem with this is that educators can only do so much. And many have expressed as much saying that they feel limited in their, in their ability to intervene outside of the school grounds. But that's not to say that they can't seriously address the issue. There are a lot of things that teachers can do. Um, many argue that one way to counteract this is by promoting and exemplifying equality, which they hope would sort of develop and foster empathy, res like respect for peers, self-esteem, uh, and a sense of belonging to the school community and larger society. And these these equality, like these values of equality and, and equity are, are are like they're they're throughout our schools. They're they're a big part of our schools today, and so hopefully these things can be a big part of counteracting cyberbullying. Um, teachers can also be careful. Another way is that they they can be careful about what resources they use. So like, um, again, connecting to sort of that that equality or equal representation of things. People um, teachers can like pick books or or use resources that sort of teach anti-racism or showcase respect around sexual identity, um, things like that. And it can it can have uh, lasting effects when students are engaging in online spaces, these sort of values that are being taught to them. Um, that being said, definitely more direct and explicit discussions and lessons around the aspect of digital citizenship are a huge part in preventing cyberbullying from occurring. So. That same website or this this website um, it's called Media Smarts. It has a bunch of lessons designed to address cyberbullying and raise awareness of some legal actions that safeguard victims. So, for example, like a teacher could discuss the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and it can lead to a dialogue about cases like the one I mentioned earlier with Amanda Todd. And I would probably preface your lessons with maybe those trigger warnings that we gave you at the beginning, but. Just keep that in mind. There, these are these like extreme cases or something that teachers can talk about. Um, and uh, very recently, actually, just like a few days ago, a new law actually has been proposed called the Intimate Image Act, which has been designed to protect victims like Amanda Todd from the acts of cyberbullying. Uh, so, having students wow. discover the ways that laws are changing around digital citizenship could also be contained within a unit or a lesson. 
but uh, overall, yeah, I think the important takeaway here, and probably it's a very obvious takeaway, is simply that teachers should be actively teaching their students to be considerate and ethical digital citizens. Like we can't afford to ignore it or assume that they'll figure it out on their own. And uh, the relatively hidden nature of cyberbullying when compared with physical bullying makes it like that much more serious. I hope that clears things up about cyberbullying for you. Yeah, thanks, Michael, for sharing your information. Um, that's really interesting about the the Image Act that you mentioned, Intimate Image Act. Uh, yeah, like I said, it's just been proposed. It hasn't gone through yet, but it's something you know you could tie that into a socials unit, or you could tie it into um, a lot of different areas. But uh, it's definitely something you can have the students like talk about that and sort of you could incorporate it into a lesson fairly simply. Mm -hmm. um, so I think moving on, because we only have so much time here, maybe we could move into the topic of body image and self-identity, because these definitely do connect with bullying in general, and um, also students' self-esteem and their confidence in themselves. Um, it has a lot of connections with with cyberbullying, but it is sort of a different thing. So maybe, Parisa, I know you have looked into this. So maybe how, I, I want to ask you how we can address the topic of digital technology and body image. Yeah. Um, so to begin addressing this question, I will preface this by um, kind of just talking about body image as a term itself. Um, in an article that I read by Giazza et al, um, whose research I will be talking about in a moment, uh, they define it as one's perception, thoughts, and emotions revolving around one's own body. It is the depiction of one's body representation, including their mirror reflection, and it reflects social constructs which depend on a society's culture and norms. This conception is created using body ideals substantially communicated via media, family, and peers. So even with that, within that definition of what body image is, there is like heavily that idea of media and culture, um, which is spread through media nowadays. Um, so it's really important when um, talking about digital technology to address the concept of kind of body image and how one sees themselves because often when we are on the internet um, and looking at images of people there is a tendency like I at least I find this I do this like to compare myself I, even as a child I remember comparing myself to celebrities or figures that I see or models in magazines and thinking to myself like why don't I look like that and mm -hmm it's really important to be able to teach to students about these topics um, because, you know, the reality is those, those pictures might be altered or edited. Um, so in exploring this topic, I looked at Jatsa et al's article or study, um, which explored the association between social media use and its effect on one's body dissatisfaction. The sample looked at 1,331 people between the ages of 15 and 35, and they completed an online questionnaire. 
and the study found associations between the frequency of comparing one's own physical appearance to that of people followed on social media and the dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction and drive for thinness. Further, the figures and influencers that teens and young adults are following on their social media are, are having an effect, according to this study, on their perception of themselves. So it's important to, for us as teachers to, to teach that the images we see on media and TV are not always real. And there are digital tools such as Photoshop, video and image editors, editors and filters on most of the images which we may encounter online. Um, another article by Markian Daniels found that girls who use social media, this was done on adolescent girls, um, do not differ significantly from girls who do not use social media in terms of their perception of body image. But um, among girls who use social media, their type of engagement um, appearance focused versus communication focused is important. Only girls who engage in like appearance focused social media um, use seem to experience negative body image concerns. So the type of engagement that younger girls may have direct like online, whether they use appearance focused tools um, or like kind of like TikTok, Instagram sort of thing versus communication, which is like text, um, may influence whether they have positive or negative body image concerns. Um, and it's important to note also that there is, when addressing body image, there is a prevalence of kind of female body image presence and um, kind of male body image isn't discussed as much or boys um, isn't discussed as much in research. So an article by Ricky Ardelli et al. Um, looks at adolescent boys and their study um, looked at the role of parents, friends, and the media on adolescent boys' body image. And they highlight how there is a pressure by society for males to obtain a certain look of strength and muscularity. Um, and the study explored the socio-cultural influences affecting body image. Uh, it was performed, uh, the study was performed at a same-sex private school in Australia with 20 grade seven boys and 20 grade nine boys. And the study found that 50% of the boys claimed that the media had no effect on their feelings about their body, eating, or exercise patterns. But for nine of the boys, um, movies were the main type of media that affected their body image and body change methods. Um, other kinds of media mentioned by the boys were television, radio, and magazines. Um, but also for approximately a third of the boys, um, parents, siblings, friends, and the media were perceived to have some influence over their feelings about their bodies and methods used to change their body size and shape. Um, and moms or mothers were seen as having larger influence over the boys' image, and majority of the messages given to boys were um, like positive, where the mothers gave compliments and praise, and that kind of helped towards their um, body satisfaction levels um, when th that was done for them. Um, so this research highlights the importance of addressing the concept of body and body image with boys as 
well as girls, even though it seems that like a lot of media might present like body positivity ads geared towards women largely. Um, it's important to address it for boy, both boys, girls, and beyond that, um, beyond yeah, that spectrum of boys and girls. That's really um, interesting, actually. That that's typically yeah. what I hear when I when I hear about these sort of things um, talked about. It's it's always it's always typically discussing how body image, like these sort of social media platforms, can affect like the way that girls think about themselves. I haven't really ever heard a study about it affecting boys, and I think that's I think that's powerful. Like it, it kind of shows you that it's, it's not just one. It no, it's not just like one demographic. It's like our all of our youth in general. Like it, it kind of, it mm -hmm. kind of shows you that it's a bigger problem than we thought. Yeah, and it would be also interesting to like do further research on how it influences like LGBTQ um, mm. two plus um, groups as well. Because um, I didn't really find much information on that it was very much like boys and girls but it would be interesting to kind of further explore um the concept of body image um, yeah very interesting yeah other um groups and identities as well um so uh, can i ask you so what might be some of the ways that you can as a teacher what are the ways we can address this sort of area of digital citizenship yeah, so again, uh, like you mentioned as well, Michael, in the um, you mentioned the Media Smarts website and their lesson plan, uh, lesson plans. They have one for um, geared towards it, I think it's geared towards grade nine, but um, you could kind of um, adjust it to being at a grade five, six, seven level uh, for students, and it addresses uh, body positivity and ways that. Um, students can critically analyze advertisements that they may see in the media. Um, so there's lesson plan that talks about, um, it could talk about, it addresses the grade six hope curricular competency of like healthy and active living. Um, and it addresses like event, identify, apply and reflect on strategies used to pursue personal healthy living goals. So the lesson involves showing students traditional ads and body positive ads for both men and women. Um, so there are certain groups such as Dove and Aerie that kind of had campaigns for body positivity. And the teacher will pose questions to students that allow them to think critically about these two different representations in the media. So for example, um, the questions could be which ads are a more accurate representation of the body what messages do these ads convey are they positive or are they negative if you don't look like the people in these ads would you want to buy from their brand why or why not um, so this can be an opportunity to discuss how there is less body positivity representation for males compared to females as well and also um the LGBTQ2 plus um, groups, and also how certain companies such as Dove campaigns for body positivity increased their sales. Like after they did these ads, their sales increased. So maybe that could mm. be another area for discussion. Um, and yeah, after showing this, students could maybe go on their own and perform their own kind of research where they find 
an ad that promotes their um, that either promotes positive or negative body images and write a letter, email, or social media post critiquing or providing praise for the campaign. Um, now that is geared towards more of a five, six, seven age group. For a younger age group, um, you could read books and I found some books that would be good. There's books called um, All Bodies Are Good Bodies by Charlotte Barkla, Her Body Can, Can by Katie Crenshaw and Addie Meshk, and Everybody, A First Conversation About Bodies by Megan Madison could be ways for addressing it with younger students as well. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of what I found in these, in my research. Um, and I think I have seen some of those books, actually. I think I've seen All Bodies Are Good Bodies. I think I've seen that being sold, I don't know, in stores around the Vancouver area. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, they're great resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and in that same vein, uh, Paula, you've done some searching on the topic of media consumption and its effects on self-image, which is quite kind of similar self-image to body image as well in a lot of ways. Um, so could you tell me a bit about like what the impact of technology on elementary school children's media consumption is or how that has been? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, well, just firstly, like looking at what media consumption is and media consumption refers to the way we consume media, you know, whether it's through TV, social media or any other digital platform. And it's important for our, our students to understand the impact that media can have on their lives and how to critically evaluate the media they consume. And, you know, as Michael before um, he discussed some tragic events which have happened through media consumption and also yourself, Parissa, talking about body image. And so as media consumption includes the production, it also includes the production of media. So students need to learn how to create media that is meaningful, ethical and engaging. And as technology has become an integral part of our lives and it's no different for elementary school children. Children today have access to smartphones, tablets, computers, and they spend a significant amount of time consuming this media through their devices. And looking at um, maybe risks associated with this excessive media consumption among elementary school um, students, um, I've been looking at Sherry Tuckle, a professor of social studies and science technologies at MIT, and she's an author of several books on the impact of technology on human relationships and the risks that um, excessive media consumption holds and that can, you know, it can lead to a lack of real life inter interaction and communication skills. Now, she's been studying digital cult culture for over 30 years, and she's been a long time enthusiastic, enthusiast for all the possibilities technology can bring. 
but through her work, she also investigates the troubling consequence at work, at home, in politics, and in love. Her research has shown um, how we find waves around conversation and how we're, you know, the possibilities of text or an email in which we don't have to look or listen or really reveal ourselves and um, face to face to someone. And, you know, we have very real situations at the dinner table um, when it's silence at the dinner table as children compete with phones for their parents' attention as parents have bringing work home. It's this constant, there's no turn off. And when you meet with friends, um, they begin to learn strategies to keep conversations going when only a few people are looking up from their phones. And at work, we, you know, we can retreat to our screens, although it is conversation at the coffee machine that increases not only productivity, but commitment to work. And online, we only want to share opinions that our followers will agree to. Well, sometimes, right? This isn't, and as politics that shies away from the real conflicts and um, solutions of the public square. And children who spend too much time on their devices may struggle with face-to-face -face communication, empathy, and other important social skills. So we need to be very mindful of the amount of time students spend on their devices and encourage a balance between screen time and real life activities. So it's up you know, to parents and educators who need to model healthy technology use by setting limits on their own screen time and engaging in face-to-face -face communication with the children. And it's not un uncommon for teachers or EAs and um, for checking their phone while in class. You know, you may see students sitting beside these adults and, you know, it's unclear why the phone is out. You know, maybe it's something... <laughs> very most likely some issue education, but that's not always explicit. And one major, major concern is that tech technology can be a distraction from important activities like homework, physical activity, and social interaction. And there are studies that have shown excessive screen time can lead to problems with attention and focus and you know have impact on um kids kids um performance in school um you know um sherry going back to sherry tuckle's research it, um and you know she has shown that excessive screen time can lead to social isolation and a lack of empathy and it can make it easier for children to avoid conf conflict or not conflict but difficult conversations or confrontations and then leading to a lack of resolution and understanding when children spend too much time on screens. They miss out on the important face-to-face -face interactions and it's essential for building social skills and developing em empathy. And you know, through COVID, this um, you know, I think grew as well during this time of feeling that social social isolation, having um just a lack of being together and um, having friends, you know, chatting and in real time, in real life. Um, also, the World Health Organization 
has stated that children between ages five and 17 should have more, no more than two hours of screen time per day. But recent studies have found in the United States that the average time is 3.6 hours per day on screens. And, you know, it's been linked to higher levels of obesity, poor sleep and other health issues. And so as educators, we also need to be conscious, you know, as we there's amazing technology we can bring into our class. But I think we also need to be very mindful of how much we're using and for the purpose. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's important to kind of think about how much time we're spending online. Are there any specific strategies or tools that parents and educators can use to promote healthy media consumption among elementary school children? Yeah, absolutely. Um, strategies to encourage you know, children to engage in a variety of activities such as outdoor play, reading, creative projects, you know, that do not involve screens. It's also helpful to establish device-free times and spaces um, at home, like for parents, um, during mealtimes, bedtimes. Um, parents, parents and teachers can model healthy technology habits by limiting their own screen time and being present and engaged and interacting with children and also friends, that the children can see that you're interacting, engaging with friends and family as well. And I guess finally, it's important um, to have ongoing conversations with children about technology and its impacts, impact on their lives and to help them develop the skills they need to navigate the digital world um, in a responsible and healthy way and encouraging critical thinking and media messages. So, um, you know, Technology is a powerful tool that can enhance children's learning and development, but it's essential to use it responsibly, you know, as we've heard from yourself and Michael earlier. But by setting limits on screen time, you know, promoting healthy activities and having open and honest conversations with children, we can really help them um, develop a healthy relationship with technology and promote their overall well-being. Um, yeah. yeah, that's, that's great. I know, um, there are people that like students who I've seen or other children that I know that spend quite a lot of time on, on their phones or glued to their devices. So it's important to have breaks from it because it can be quite, um, like can have some effects on mental health and etc yeah no definitely i agree um, and i was gonna say it it makes me think of sort of one of the things that teachers focus on in in career sort of when they're talking about when they're teaching students they just typically focus on i don't know drugs or uh other sort of things that like other hazards but like i i feel like their explicit teaching around these sort of uh, digital citizenship issues are not something that I don't know, maybe everyone exactly does, at least in my circles of what I've seen, it might not be something that te that teachers think about. So it's, uh, yeah, explicit teaching of these things is actually really, it's really powerful, I think. Definitely. Um, yeah, we're sort of running out of time, but uh, 
Paula, did you have any final thoughts of how we can uh, sort of, I don't know. Um, yeah. Just, well, just kind of in, in conclusion, just to keep encouraging a questioning attitude as, as educators and parents and to keep the doors open for all those um, questions and that it should be weaved into our education and our parenting. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it looks like we're going to be running out of time and we, we only have so much time and to discuss what we're doing here, but uh, I just want to say thanks for listening in and tune in next time for some more discussions around all things teaching. And yeah, we look forward to hearing about any comments or questions that people might have. So send those in, but uh, we look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you next time. Bye -bye. Thanks everyone. Yeah. Thank you.